I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome back to the show where we give you the lowdown, the inside information, the word from the experts to help you use the internet as part of your marketing machine. Internet marketing is brought to you by AI Digital at www.ai-digital.com. And in episode 45, Dan Rouse has a roundtable discussion with his senior SEO team about the trends they have seen in recent weeks. And I speak to Razia Ahmed of touchnote.com about how they got started. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Internet Marketing. I am with our resident uh, guru of Internet Marketing, Mr. Daniel Rouse. Hello, Dan. Good afternoon, Andy. We've got a slightly different show today, haven't we, Dan? We have. We're going to start off with one of the normal things, which is a a bit of a question from one of the listeners. But then we're going to drop into what I decided to do after a few inquiries was that we've got a senior search engine optimization team here. Um, and we're going to get the three senior SEO team members together along myself. Um, and we're going to do a little round table discussion on latest things that are happening in search optimization. So getting some really good inside advice from the people that are paid to do this all day long on uh, the best ways to get into the top of the search engine and what's changing and what are the latest things to worry about and to kind of focus on. Right, well, we'll come on to that in about three seconds, and it will all be rounded off with an exciting interview by me, but we'll talk about that in about um, more than three seconds. So, Dan, let's start off with these questions. Who's been asking questions of us? Well, there's a great question here from uh, Ashworth Photography, from a guy called Mark Ashworth, and it's an issue that I've heard a couple of people raise recently. More and more of us are using Google Analytics. So using Google Analytics to monitor what's going on on our website and just literally got the traffic levels and so on and so forth. But one of the questions I've been asked a few times lately is, is my visit to my own website being listed in those stats? And it absolutely is. So what can easily happen is you can go into your own website and if you keep going in, you set it to your homepage, you keep trawling through your own content, you end up completely skewing your own web stats. And it's very easy to do. And it's amazing how much it can actually skew the stats as well. When we work with larger companies, they tend to have big sales teams that may be 10, 20s, hundreds of people. Um, what you find is that they'll tell the sales team or the marketing team, oh, we've just put some new pages up. They all go and look at the web pages. So the first month stats look fantastic. All these hundreds of people have visited the web page. Then unfortunately, in the second month, the traffic levels have dropped down and no one can understand why. And it's generally because of internal visits to the website. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking at are how you can actually manage to exclude yourself from those visits now it's not actually as easy as it sounds unfortunately because quite often 
most of us connect to the internet what is on a dynamic IP address, meaning that the number of the kind of IP address of the computer used to connect to the internet changes all the time. So if you were just to go into Google Analytics and say, okay, I want a report that excludes this IP address, that may work well, but then if it changes, you won't actually be monitoring that. Also, companies tend to have lots of different IP addresses if they're bigger companies, and quite often you don't actually know what those are. Um, so there can be problems with that. So there's some alternative approaches you can take. Now, the approach that Mark was suggesting you take is if you turn off cookies, will that stop Google Analytics from recording the code? Unfortunately, it doesn't completely. Google registers five cookies. Um, I believe it's five off the top head on your machine. And a cookie is literally a piece of text that just connects up the user with a particular website. So what that allows Google to do is track not only each page you look at, but the series of pages you're looking at, um, whether you're a repeat visitor or you're a new visitor and things like that. Without those cookies, Google can still capture data about you, but doesn't get such a full picture. So actually by turning the cookie off, what you unfortunately do is skew the data in a different direction in the fact you'll still be seen as a visitor, but every time you come, you'd be seen as a new visitor and Google wouldn't be able to connect up the series of pages that you look at. It may be able to for the IP address, but basically it's not going to get joined up thinking about your entire visit. So just turning off cookies won't actually fix the problem for you. There are some uh, plugins for Firefox that will block the cookies automatically. But again, you're still in the same situation. Now, if you're using uh, a PC machine, there is a relatively easy way of doing this. I don't know the solution for Macs, and I'm sure one of our listeners will hopefully be able to tell us. Uh, but on a PC, you have something called a host file. Okay. Now, rather than going into detail of how to do this, um, I'll give you the high level. If you want to find out how to edit your hosts file, just Google edit hosts file and there's about 20 tutorials that pop up how to do it. But essentially what the host file does, it says what websites uh, are blocked and so on and so forth from you actually visiting and you're actually looking at. So once you edit this host file, what you do is you add a line and this line basically says you're excluding a website from actually having access from your web browsers basically so what that essentially does is it blocks the piece of code the javascript that's in any web page from google and the javascript can't run at all thus eliminating you from the google stats so what you do you edit your hosts file it's just a text file and you add in two lines okay and those two lines will read an ip address and then the google address for google analytics so the address is 127.0.0.1 which is the, the basically references you. That's kind of like you. So you do 127.0.0.1 space www.google-analytics.com. Mm-hmm. Now that line will exclude any access coming through. The other thing you need to do though is you need to exclude the secure address as well because if you're on a secure server, there can still be Google Analytics. So you do the same thing, 127.0.0.1, then space ssl.google-analytics.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, Uh, we'll drop this into the the show notes as well. If you're having trouble just copying this down, but essentially it stops any of that Google Analytics code coming through, and you can actually stop yourself from being registered and saying, Oh, I've got thousands of visitors that actually turn out to be you. That's really clever, Dan, because of course, what's happening there is that the second that your web browser comes across that bit of JavaScript at the bottom that tries to go off to the Google servers and say, Oh, someone's just visiting the website. Of course, it reads from the host file that actually it doesn't go off to Google. It should go to itself, which just stops it from working. So that's quite nice. And of course, the side effect is it will stop you from registering in any Google analyticized website, actually, won't it, as a side effect? It will do. That's the thing. Not only will you be blocking yourself from being registered in your own website, it will block other people from seeing you in Google Analytics. Now, 
a few people have concerns about security and things like that, and not much security, but privacy on um, Google Analytics. I don't have any issues with it whatsoever. So I think if you're going to do this, find it for yourself. But I wouldn't block other people um, from using Google Analytics. At the end of the day, it helps everyone to improve websites. Mm -hmm. So as a general issue, I would say let Google have a look at what's going on so you can actually register your details and it can track you as a user. But it is a good idea to exclude it from your own own website. So have a look at that, have a go, and uh, let us know how you get on. And any other bits of news you'd like to talk about before we go on to that roundtable? Just something briefly. Um, We've been using Twitter on and off and we, we've talked to people about Twitter before which is a micro blogging service which basically allows you to kind of publish little like SMS messages onto the web to tell people what's going on we've got a few of the listeners have started to follow my Twitter mm. uh, my tweets and what we want to do is try and encourage the listeners to follow me on Twitter so we can ask questions about what we should do in the following podcast and we want to run some competitions and things like that so if you search for Daniel Rolls all as one word and that's spelled Daniel D-A-N-I-E-L Rolls, R-O-W-L-E-S, all is one word. Go into Twitter, so twitter.com, look for Daniel Rolls, follow me, and we'll ask questions about what we should do in the next podcast. And anyone that answers, we'll try and give them a mention on the show. That's a fantastic idea. So we're basically using Twitter as as another form of communication to ask people what uh, they want doing for the podcast. Yeah, because what I found is quite useful is when I'm out and about doing kind of seminars and training and things, questions arise that I'd like to kind of raise with the the podcast listeners. Um, So it'd be good for getting feedback from that point of view. It's a nice, easy channel, even when I'm mobile and things like that, for getting people's feedback. Fantastic, Dan. Thank you very much. Should we move on to that roundtable then? Yeah, absolutely. This was the little roundtable where we got together our senior SEO team, um, who are, you'll hear me introducing in a moment, um, just saying, okay, they do this on an everyday basis. What's the latest things that are happening in Google? What's the latest thing in search optimization? What should we be thinking about? And where are a lot of people missing things? What are the kind of key things that can really help us out? Fantastic. So here we go then. Morning, everybody. It's Daniel here again. Just as I mentioned, we're going to speak to our senior SEO team. So I've got John, Kelvin and Helen here uh, just to speak about what's new in search engine optimization, what we need to be thinking about from the search engines and what the latest kind of trends are as well. So um, I'm going to hand you over to Kelvin just to briefly introduce what he thinks is something we should be thinking about at the moment, something he's noticed, and we'll, uh, we'll take things from there. Yeah, looking at universal search generally, a few of you might already be familiar with universal search, which is where Google are taking and you know spicing up their search results really it tends to be typically with YouTube videos that's where most people will have seen it where you search for um, a celebrity or a film and the trailer will appear as a YouTube sure. result um, but increasingly there's more elements being pulled into the mix here so you might get news results um, blog results but um, interestingly if you search at the moment for any of the tennis players who are currently um, competing in the Australian Open um, so Andy Murray for example now he's gone out but, um, <laughs> but if you search for him at the top result, Google are pulling in the um, score from their most recent match, um, presumably from a news or somewhere. So it's just a kind of changing of the, the way that Google presents its search results to try and keep people on their site for longer, really. One of the things I was wondering about this was how they're actually doing it, because are they looking at, are they connecting these results up automatically, or is there some sort of manual editing? Because it looks like... That at the moment, the way they're doing it, they must be going in and actually interacting with it a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know to what extent that the results are entered manually, but I definitely think there's some kind of manual override in terms of if you if you type in, um, you know, if you made a mistake on Andy Murray's name or put in his middle name or yeah. something, it's very unlikely it would show up. So it's definitely the kind of 
okay, let's put a list of all the entrants to the Australian Open, sure. and whenever that's that keyword is entered, it triggers off um, a different set of results. I mean, you got it as well around the Beijing Olympics, where um, if you searched on an Olympics-related term, it brought up the medal table, sure. which again, and that was updating very quickly. So I tend to think it's not... The results probably aren't um, entered manually, but the keywords that trigger those results definitely are sure. some kind of manual override that's made as a kind of policy decision that, by someone at Google. Yeah, I mean, it seems like if you look at it from the video point of view, what they were doing first of all is saying, OK, we'll include YouTube results. Now, the rule was set for that, mm. and they seem to be adding more kind of sets of rules in mm. terms of what things will connect to each other. Mm. So um, started seeing a little bit of audio results. At one point, there were some results coming up for mm. some... Um, a few more blogs seem to be appearing separately and a few mm. more podcasts seem to be appearing. So if you're now getting connected results on universal search, it should be interesting to see how people can leverage that. Yeah, and I mean, the advantage is that if you see a search result page where there's a video or an image there that's being triggered, the click-through rate on that is significantly higher than you would get. So you may well only be halfway down the page, but if you've got that image, it increases the click-through rate significantly to what you would get on a text-based result. So, I mean, at the moment, it's only being triggered on certain phrases. It tends to be kind of celebrity, sporting events, anything around those kind of topics or latest news events. But, you know, increasingly, if they're trialling it there, it's going to start making appearances onto more commercial terms as well. So the advantage is the YouTube ones seem to be... the videos they choose seem to be triggered purely by the number of you know views that video's sure. had. So the people who can get in early producing this kind of content or have the you know the better established blog or you know these kind of things really have an advantage when it does roll out to more commercially you know important keywords. Yeah, I was just going to say there's a real argument there to producing new content and producing kind of blog and regularly updated content and video content. Again, another reason to get you kind of into those top results in Google. Okay, so something to bear in mind in terms of if you're producing content. Um, think about the themes that are really kind of current in the news at the moment so that you can get your content in there. Um, John, what were the kind of topics you've been noticing lately that's kind of changed? Okay, um, the one that we came up with, and we don't really know what to call it at the moment, um, <laughs> it's, it's not so much a topic as something that we've noticed in the search results, whereby we used to have this thing with Google called the sandbox, which was just this tagline that people put on the kind of phenomenon when you launched a new website it was in the first kind of six, 12 months, it was hard to get that website ranking for anything, really. What we're seeing now is kind of a reverse of that. So we're kind of dubbing this the reverse sandbox, I think, was the... Uh, I quite like that. I've decided, that sounds nice and technical, and it sounds like we know what we're talking about. So reverse yeah. sandbox is good, I think. <laughs> the other alternate phrase was the honeymoon period, which was the other one that was mentioned. But it's basically where you launch a new website into... It gets indexed into the search results, and straight away you start seeing really good results for a number of often quite competitive keywords, which usually would take 6, 12, 18 months worth of link building and on-site SEO and um, all the other stuff that we usually do to try and kind of promote new websites. But now, yeah, we've, we've seen it with quite a few new sites that we've launched and some testing that we've been doing. These new sites going really high in the... Yeah. I, in the engine straight I, I found this over over Christmas when I spoke in the previous podcast about launching this wedding photography website and uh, I was showing off how pleased I was that this uh, website we'd launched was in Google within about seven days and it really did bounce up high it did then disappear off for another a week or so but it has reappeared I'm happy to say as well but then we're not talking about a massively competitive field here because we were talking about something in this case that was um, fairly niche anyway so we saw a bit of a bounce around at the beginning and then it settled down but there was absolutely this kind of honeymoon or reverse sandbox, as we shall now refer to it, uh, in the fact that it, it did just jump in. And I think this is probably where Google is 
doesn't want to be seen to discourage people to add new websites and new content because if you just can't get into Google for the first 18 months, then it kind of really does put people off being innovative and just trying new things. So I think they've obviously tried to challenge that, but the algorithm isn't quite perfect yet. So things are bouncing around a little bit more. Yeah, I think what tends to happen is you kind of get given the benefit. It's kind of a benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And um, because the web is updating so frequently, Google don't want to have to wait a period of time to you know prove how good you are. So you get this benefit of a doubt of a week, couple of weeks, and then they wait and see. Well, this new website's there, but is the the links that are pointing to it there to back it up? If you've only got you know half a dozen links, you'll you'll fall back down again. But if you are able to you know capitalize, if it is a kind of genuine topical event, yeah, you know. Um, like a kind of viral website or that kind of thing, you, you will rank well. Yeah. Um, it works particularly well if you've got your keywords in your domain name as well. We've, we've found from a few tests that yeah. me and John have done. Yeah, I, I suppose the lesson to take away from it is that it's just about fresh content again. So it doesn't necessarily just work with new websites. It's adding new pages, new articles, new stories again, like Kelvin was talking about. Um, basically any fresh content that you can add onto the site on a regular yeah. basis that's going to get picked up a lot quicker now. Um, so we've seen seen some research which is showing that pay, new pages, when you add them to your site, if you submit an XML sitemap, they can get picked up within kind of 15 minutes. Yeah, I, the, that, again, that's simply winningphotography.co.uk website had exactly the same impact where um, we launched it, left it alone for a little while, and it started to disappear out again, and then the link building started in earnest, and it appeared again, and it seemed to Google decide, okay, it was trustworthy. So I think you're absolutely right. It is really about updating that content and you know, getting those inbound links coming in. So, okay, so reverse sandbox. Uh, you heard the term first here, I would imagine. So, okay, brilliant. Uh, just going on to Helena, anything new for us to be thinking about, Helena? Um, well, what I really wanted to talk about was uh, micro formats. Um, basically, what they are is a way of tagging different types of content on your web pages um, to help machines to identify that content as such. Um, and then for that content to be returned. Now, um, the way it could work with search engines is um, the types of contents that could be um, tagged would be things like events and contact details um, and geographical locations. Um, so it'd be kind of similar to how um, Google Maps works, whereby um, you know the map results. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
prompts would start to appear in Google, um, there could be ways for people to start to search for contact details and for those to appear in the search results as well. Um, so I think this is quite significant and um, it's, it's going to be really important for people to start to tag their content in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting, it's, it's been kind of referenced as a Web3 and a contextual search and all those kind of things as well. The idea being that not only does Google know this information, but it understands the context of the information. And essentially the idea is that the different bits of information are tagged up as actually what they are. So you, as you say, you can, you can search on something like uh, contact details and Google knows these are contact details. It understands um, the different elements on the page and, and what they can be referenced. So that would work really well into the universal search that Kelvin was talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. I think that to a certain extent that might well be where Google are pulling their you know, like sporting results and you know, tallies of, um, of numbers of things that are going on there. Because I imagine the Oscars will probably be the next one that'll get picked up in terms of live results being pulled in there. So I imagine that um, you know, you know, micro tags is probably quite a quite a significant part of how they're picking up that data. So, I mean, practically, how how is it actually working within the code of pages at the moment? Because I suppose there's different things you could do. You can have a an XML sitemap, like you'd have any other sitemap that could say what information is where on the page and how relevant it is. Um, but within the HTML standard at the moment, so how we currently build web pages, there isn't really the opportunity to um, to tag content up to say what it actually is. So I think there's going to be a bit of a standardisation process that actually says, okay, how do we identify what content's what? And um, until that's done, we won't be able to see Google using it across the board. Yeah, it was exactly the same. The XML sitemaps, mm. that, you know, you've got um, sitemaps.org, which is you know the kind of um, you know the the coming together of the various different protocols that people were using and although um i think it, it tends to be this is working in a bit more of an open source way that you know there's collaboration going on there but it, i don't think we're quite there at the stage where yeah. it's it's been completely tied down yeah well again that's um an organization called microformats.org oh. um and they've got a list of all the sort of standardized formats that are already being used but i think we need to be careful that we don't let the americans run away with it because they've already got resume as one of their tags so um, that's something to maybe look out for but there's something very simple that you can do now which is to implement something called an H card on all your contact pages um, which is short for HTML V card and so you just tag up it within the class as the H card or the V card and then you can add the name to a certain attribute equal to name business I think is org and telephone number is telly or something like that um, so I'm going to have a look more on maybe when we write this up onto our blog. Yeah, I think what we'll have a look at, if we um, if you have a look what we're trying to do, we'll put this into the show notes, some of these links as well, but if you look at the Apple Pie and Custard blog um, that you can find, we'll put the link in there as well. Uh, what's the URL for that? Yeah, it's um, www.sitevisibility, that's all one word, and site spelled S-I-T-E, um, visibility.co.uk forward slash blog. Brilliant. So have a look at that and uh, we'll put some comments up on this kind of stuff with all the most useful links on micro-tagging because it's, uh, it's quite a big topic and there's lots of different standards being laid down. So, okay, well, there's just a few topics to be thinking about. So universal search, uh, the micro-tagging and the reverse sandbox. And uh, we hope you found that useful and uh, we'll just see you next time. Well, there we go. That round table discussion it was very, very interesting. Dan... Let's briefly, before we move on to the last segment, talk about uh, TouchNote and Razia. Okay, uh, TouchNote is a company, so it's touchnote.com we've been speaking to for a little while, and I just thought it was a brilliant case study for some of our listeners to hear about. Uh, it's a, a website that allows you to 
build your own customized kind of greeting cards, but not the kind of standard stuff that we kind of expect where it's a Christmas card or Valentine's card, that kind of thing. It's more about the kind of personal side of things because you upload your own photos, you can customize your own photos. The product they send out is a nice little product where you actually see the product in the post. It's not inside an envelope and it's, it folds out and all sorts of things. Go to touchnote.com, have a look at the, the product itself. I really like it. It's something we've been using a little while. Razio is one of the people that started the business up and I thought it was a good opportunity to ask her a few questions on how she's getting traffic to her website, what the process was like and some of the stumbling blocks that they've come across in the whole process. Just one thing that was mentioned to me that I've taken to heart and I, I've really learned from Touchnote. They were trying to get into blogs and they would contact bloggers and bloggers get so many requests that you just get ignored an awful lot of the time. So what they did was actually go out, find a picture of the blogger online somewhere, create a touch note card. So create one of their cards with a picture of the blogger on it on the front and then post it to them because these things go out in the real mail and kind of snail mail. So what happens is that you get a little card in the post that's got your picture on the front of it. Well, you're absolutely 100% going to open and read that. And because it's quite a nice little quality product as well, what they found is people did get in contact afterwards. So it's a way of using online back into the offline world to draw people online again. And I just thought it was a really great thing to do. So uh, have a listen to this and uh, see what you can learn. Fantastic. Well, here's the interview. Enjoy. Razia Ahmed, hello. Welcome to Internet Marketing. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you very, very much for, for joining us on this uh, post-snowy day. Yeah, just about managed to make it into the office today, so it's fine. Now, touchnote.com. I've just been having a look at it. I was just, I've been looking at touchnote.com, and um, it looks really good. Basically, it's, it's, it's a way of getting greetings cards out, isn't it? Yeah, it's an easy way to send a smile to someone. And specifically, it's, uh, we've positioned a lot around photos. So a lot of people have digital photos that kind of sit on their computer or sit online somewhere. Mm. And we've made it easy to send photos, to share moments. So if you've got a picture and you want to send it to someone, it's a quick way. Upload it to our site, write a message, tell, tell us where you want to send it to, and we'll print it and post it for you. You don't even have to get to the post office. So nice and easy. That's really cool. And I'm ever so excited now because it's my Auntie Dot's birthday next week. And I was going to go out and buy a card. I think I'm going to use your service now. We've saved you the hassle, yeah. So you <laughs> Especially for my auntie you dot. Exactly, and you don't even have to go to the card shop. You can kind of come onto our site. We've just launched a gallery on our site, actually. So even if you don't have a photo that you want to use, you can use one of the pictures from our kind of range of artists that we've got on there. Excellent. Now, just tell us a little bit about the history of how your business started and its history. Um, well, it's one of those things that um, started around dinner table, dinner party conversation where um, my, an old friend of mine, he, he was having sort of dinner with his family and they were all lamenting the fact that they, they have digital photos um, and they've had quite a few new babies in their family. Mm. They were talking about how they've got tons of photos sitting on their computer, but their parents, so the grandparents, have barely got a single photo of the grandkids. They've got maybe one. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if there was just a quick and easy way to kind of make, bring those photos alive, make them real and actually send them out? Um, and while we thought, and I, I kind of joined in later on, I said, well, you know, printing ho- at home isn't that great quality. So even though people got color printers at home, they print their digital photos, it doesn't look quite as good. Mm. Um, but, and it's also way too much hassle, but wouldn't it be cool to have a service where it just kind of took care of it for you and also the posting part? So mm-hmm. that's how TouchNote kind of came about. And in terms of the format of the card, we thought traditional greeting cards are pretty boring. Little A5 cards that stand up and... They're what you see everywhere. Why don't we try and make a funky little card 
that um, is sort of half postcard, half greeting card, a bit like a photo in a frame. Mm. So there's a little square card with wings that so just stands up neatly. Um, and that's how we came up with the idea, sort of a nice, easy way to keep in contact. And how long have you been going, Razia? Um, well, we launched in November, um, so we've been going for about three three months now, and we've had kind of good sales over Christmas, and now a lot of um, post-Christmas thank you cards being sent out, and New Year cards, and now we're kind of getting into the Valentine's Day rush. But yeah. I think a lot of the times um, we look at the types of cards people are sending, they're not only for traditional calendar-based occasions, so they're not only for birthdays and anniversaries, but actually I saw this and thought of you moments, a very impulsive I've got a picture from a great night out and it's just a nice little way to connect. So I think a lot of people these days are, um, there's a lot of um, conversations happening on Facebook and on email, but once that conversation happens online, it sort of disappears once the computer's shut down. Mm. And this is a way people are seeing as keeping in contact, but having something tangible, something physical. Now I'm very interested in how you use the internet to promote your business, Razia. What would you say is the... What did you have to do to differentiate yourself from from? Because there are a few companies already doing this, aren't there? Yeah, there are a couple of companies that are doing in terms of the back end, the, the basic functionality that do the printing card and sending it for you. But um, in terms of what we could do as a startup, um, we don't have the marketing dollars to go and do big TV adverts, no matter how annoying those adverts might be. <laughs> mm. um, and so we thought, well, what we can do with the small team we've got is try and provide outstanding customer support. So any queries or anything that comes in, we can go out of our way and we make a thing of trying to respond within emails that come in within minutes of them um, landing in our inbox. And mm. customers really love that. They've even, they, they write back to us saying, oh, I didn't expect to, respond, to hear a response from you guys so quickly. Um, thanks so much for that. And I think we've also gone out of our way to help customers even make their cards. Last week, we had a customer that was trying to make a birthday card to someone but kept um, on the picture when the, when they were coming through, I think they had a little error on it. And they couldn't quite figure out how to fix it for them. In the end, um, we said, look, tell you what, we know what you're trying to do, but we'll make them for you and we'll send them out for you. And even before she'd received the card, she said, oh, my God, I'm so grateful. You guys have been so helpful. I've been telling all my friends about you because you're really nice. And she hadn't even bought a single card at that point. Right. So um, I think what we do, we're relying a lot on word of mouth. So often people that receive the cards, they really like them and think, oh, what's this new thing called TouchNet? Oh, let me go and try it out as well. So mm. um, we're doing a lot on customer support and customer service. Now, I'm very interested because you used quite a clever technique, didn't you, involving sending pictures of people as a way of promoting yourself? Yes. Tell us yes. about that because that sounds quite interesting. So whenever um, we've got meetings or anything set up, we end up... Um, Often, you know, as a startup, it's always really hard to try and get meetings with people. And so what we end up doing is find the person that we're trying to meet. Often everybody's got their photos on Flickr or online somewhere. Or they have something about them, some particular interest that they've got. And we'll just send them a touch note and say, hey, we thought we'd like to come and talk to you. We've got some interesting partnering opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time they end up receiving meeting requests via a postal little card. And I just think it's such a neat idea that we, we get lots of people that are coming back to saying absolutely loved it. And they have them sitting on their desk when you go to their meetings as well. It's a differentiator, isn't it? It's, it's getting that physical, tangible thing through the post as opposed to just like an email. Exactly. And also, be that personal post or business post. When was the last time you actually received anything in the post that you wanted to open? I don't know, but on my doorstep, I usually get bills or mm. direct mail advertising or newspapers. 
Um, the last time I got actually a letter or a card, it's, it's pretty rare these days. So we're trying to revive that, that sense of personal post again. What do you think, Razia, are the sort of key challenges in getting traffic to your site? Because presumably that was a big uh, sort of goal of yours. Yeah, so one thing that we're finding is that customers that do come to the site absolutely love the service. So we'll notice them make a card and then we'll notice that same email address come up a couple of days later and then they'll keep making lots and lots of cards. Um, we've also noticed a lot of repeat visitors on the site. Um, but often the challenge is how do we get new people to know about our service? And while we've been relying quite a bit on word of mouth, so i.e. Um, TouchNote customers telling their friends or TouchNote customers that are sending cards, recipients becoming customers, which we often see as well. Um, it's just not growing fast enough. Mm. So we've been trying to tackle traffic to our site through different means. So we've been doing partnerships with um, other companies that have some kind of alignment in terms of our offering. So, for example, we've partnered with a site called Wedding Path that does um, provide a wedding planning service. Mm-hmm. Um, and often... Touch notes are used for either save-the-date cards or a way to share hen night and stag night photos or a lot of the times they're used for wedding thank you cards as well. So we've done a partnership with them. They've already got an existing customer base. And similarly, we're doing partnerships with other companies as well. Um, Doing the traditional internet marketing activities, doing SEO, pay-per-click, but trying, I think we're actually quite lucky now. We're in a fortunate position that we've got enough funding to see us through for quite a way and um, it means that we can try and get a little bit more creative on the marketing side of things. So if we want to try out something new, a little bit quirky, a bit different, we've got some license to do that, and that's the kind of thing that we're looking at doing now. Fantastic. And where do you see your company going in the future, Rosia? Any, any specific plans? Um, so in terms of the next steps and where we're going, we're definitely going to be putting, we've got new features coming out kind of every week, little major features coming out every few weeks, and then little tweaks every day, I think. Um, whatever it is that makes it quick and easy to send, send someone a smile, send someone emotions, try and make it very impulsive to send such notes. We're adding features to do that. So today, um, we've just launched our gallery. So we've got a fantastic range of unique images we've sourced from places like the Natural History Museum, the Royal Geographical Society, a lot of independent artists and photographers. So even if a customer coming to our site doesn't have their own photos, they can use one of ours. And a lot of them are quite fun, quirky images, because, I mean, stuff in the Natural History Museum is a little bit weird, but they're a little bit more fun than things you'd find in a traditional card shop. We've got new partners coming on board, and um, we've got new fun marketing activities we've got coming on board as well. Yeah. I'm just interested, actually, Roz, yeah, how, how are people using the service? Because I'm, I'm just wondering if there's a business angle here as well. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because while a lot of the cards we're getting through are for personal sharing moments type of um, occasions, We've also started noticing um, sort of business thank you cards coming out. So people sending notes post-meetings, it sounds like, um, where they're thanking people for a particular meeting. And typically, I can imagine it being used in a sales context. A salesperson going to meet the client after the meeting, drops them a quick little touch note. doesn't cost much, but helps build relationships. And that sort of thing we're starting to see as well. So we're going to add some new features to the site to make it easier for business customers to, to work on it as well. That's really interesting, actually. It's like going back to the good old days when we used to have, uh, yeah. everyone used to have a little sort of pile of uh, sort of nice little notes on their desk, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They, they, they would write to people with a pen. Exactly. <laughs> so given that people probably don't know how to use a pen anymore, and they certainly don't want to stand in a post office queue, we're, we're trying to do a little bit of the old school stuff. Good stuff. Well, listen, Razia, thanks so much for, uh, for speaking to us today. 
Thank and you very uh, much. I wish you all the best in the future. And just quickly again, the URL for your site is www.touchnotes.com. Fantastic. Razia Ahmed, thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you very much, Andy. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would really like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, send them to info at ai-digital.com and feel free to send in MP3 files as well and we'll play them. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this show delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes. Just search under the Business and Marketing and Management categories. Or you can find us at FeedBurner at feeds.feedburner.com slash academyim. We'd also encourage you to leave comments on iTunes. Well, this is Andy White signing off, wishing you the best until we see you next time on Internet Marketing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 